0: This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Stanley Kunitz. Stanley Kunitz was one of America's most durable and respected poets. Over his seven decades of writing, Kunitz developed poetry marked by its clarity, courage, and attention to the natural world and personal history. He won the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and was twice named the Poet Laureate of the United States. Kunitz was born in 1905 in Worcester, Massachusetts. His mother was a Lithuanian Jewish immigrant and his father was a dressmaker who was struggling with a failing business. Just six weeks before Kunitz was born, his father filed for bankruptcy and committed suicide in a public park. Kunitz explored this troubled genesis over a lifetime of writing. "'The deepest thing I know is that I am living and dying at once, and my conviction is to report that dialogue. he once said. "'It is a rather terrifying thought that is at the root of much of my poetry.'" Despite this early tragedy, the young Kunitz was a gifted student and became the valedictorian of his high school. He won a scholarship to Harvard, where he earned his BA in 1926 and an MA the year after. Kunitz was discouraged from continuing on at Harvard, he recalls, because he was told that the Anglo-Saxon students would resent being taught English literature by a Jew. So he left Harvard and worked as an editor, a reporter, and a writer. Kunitz's first book, Intellectual Things, was published in 1930. It showed the influence of romantic and metaphysical poets. His second book, Passport to the War, was published more than a decade later during his military service. He'd been drafted and served as a non-combatant conscientious objector. In 1945, after leaving the Army, Kunitz began a long career as a teacher. He taught at Bennington College, Yale, the New School, and many other universities, including for two decades at Columbia. During this time, Kunitz also developed his own style. Gradually, he said, he learned to strip the water out of his poems and write more simply and more directly. In 1958, well into middle age, Kunitz compiled and attempted to publish Selected Poems, 1928 to 1958, which was first rejected by five publishers, the book would win the Pulitzer Prize, providing an enormous boost to Kunitz's career. From that time, and well into his 90s, Kunitz continued to collect honors and awards. In 2000, at the age of 95, he was appointed for the second time as Poet Laureate to the Library of Congress. And in 2005, when he was 100 years old, Kunitz published his last book, The Wild Braid, A Poet Reflects on a Century in the Garden. Kunitz lived in Greenwich Village and in Provincetown, Massachusetts, with his wife, the painter Elise Archer, until her death in 2004. Stanley Kunitz died in 2006 at home in Manhattan. The following five poems were recorded at the Library of Congress in 2001.
1: Halley's Comet came to Worcester, Massachusetts in 1910 in its 76-year cycle. I was five years old at that time, Halley's Comet. Miss Murphy in first grade wrote its name in chalk across the board and told us it was roaring down the storm tracks of the Milky Way at frightful speed and if it wandered off its course and smashed into the earth There'd be no school tomorrow. (laughs) A red-bearded preacher from the hills with a wild look in his eyes stood in the public square at the playground's edge proclaiming he was sent by God to save every one of us, even the little children. Repent, ye sinners, he shouted waving his hand-lettered sign. At supper... I felt sad to think that it was probably the last meal I'd share with my mother and my sisters, but I felt excited too and scarcely touched my plate, so mother scolded me and sent me early to my room, the whole family's asleep except for me. They never heard me steal into the stairwell hall and climb the ladder to the fresh night air. Look for me, Father, on the roof of the red brick building at the foot of Green Street. That's where we live, you know, on the top floor. I'm the boy in the white flannel gown, sprawled on this coarse gravel bed, searching the starry sky, waiting for the world to end. Robin Redbreast. It was the dingiest bird you ever saw All the color washed from him, as if he had been standing in the rain, friendless and stiff and cold, since Eden went wrong. In the house marked for sale, where nobody made a sound, in the room where I lived with an empty page, I had heard the squawking of the jays under the wild persimmons tormenting him. So I scooped him up after they knocked him down, in league with that ounce of heart pounding in my palm, that dumb beak gaping. Poor thing, poor foolish life without sense enough to stop running in desperate circles, needing my lucky help to toss him back into his element. But when I held him high, fear clutched my hand, for through the hole in his head cut whistle clean, through the old dried wound Between his eyes, where the hunter's brand had tunneled out his wits, I caught the cold flash of the blue, unappeasable sky. When I was a boy in Worcester, Massachusetts, my family lived on top of a hill at the thin edge of the city with the woods beyond. Much of the time I was alone, but I learned how not to be lonely, exploring the surrounding fields and the old Indian trails. In the games that I improvised, most of them involved with running, climbing, and a variety of ball skills, I was a fierce competitor, representing in turn myself and my imaginary opponent. It did not occur to me to be surprised that I was always the winner. (laughs) The stone throwing that figures in the poem was of a somewhat special order. Since it did more than try my skill, it challenged destiny. My life hinged on the three throws permitted me according to my rules. If I hit the target oak once, somebody would love me. If I hit it twice, I should be a poet. If I scored all three times, I should never die. A friend of mine tells me that what I have recorded here is recognizable as an ancient ritual and that the patriarchal scarred oak as I have described it, is transparently a manifestation of the king of the wood. Such mysteries for a Worcester childhood. The testing tree. On my way home from school, up tribal Providence Hill, past the academy ballpark, where I could never hope to play. I scuffed in the drainage ditch among the sodden seas of leaves, hunting for perfect stones rolled out of glacial time into my pitcher's hand. Then sprinted lickety-split on my magic heads from a crouching start Scarcely touching the ground with my flying skin as I poured it on for the prize of the mastery over that stretch of road. With no one nowhere to deny when I flung myself down that on the given course I was the world's fastest human. around the bend that tried to loop me home. dawdling came natural across a nettle field riddled with rabbit life where the bees sank sugar wells in the trunks of the maples and a stringy old lilac more than two stories tall blazing with mildew remembered a door In the long teeth of the woods. All of it happened slow, brushing the stick seed off, wading through jewel weed strangled by angel's hair, spotting the print of the deer and the red fox's scats. Once I owned the key to an umbrageous trail. Thickened with mosses, where flickering presences gave me right of passage as I followed in the steps of straight-backed Massasoit, soundlessly heel and toe, practicing my Indian walk. Past the abandoned quarry, where the pale sun bobbed, in the sump of the granite, past copperhead ledge, where the ferns gave foothold, I walked deliberate onto the clearing, with the stones in my pocket changing to oracles, and my coiled ear tuned to the slightest leaf stir. I had kept my appointment. There I stood in the shadow at fifty measured paces of the inexhaustible oak, tyrant and target, Jehovah of acorns, watchtower of the thunders, that locked King Philip's war in its annulated core under the cut of my name. Father, wherever you are, I have only three throws Bless my good right arm in the haze of afternoon while the air flowed saffron. I played my game for keeps, for love, for poetry, and for eternal life after the trials of summer. In the recurring dream, my mother stands in her bridal gown under the burning lilac with Bernard Shaw and Bertie Russell kissing her hands. The house behind her is in ruins. She is wearing an owl's face and makes barking noises. Her minatory finger points. I pass through the cardboard doorway askew in the field and peer down a well where an albino walrus huffs. He has the jetless eyes. If the dirt keeps sifting in, staining the water yellow, why should I be blamed? Never try to explain. That single Model A... Sputtering up the grade, unfurled a highway behind where the tanks maneuver, revolving their turrets. In a murderous time, the heart breaks and breaks and lives by breaking. It is necessary to go through dark and deeper dark and not to turn. I am looking for the trail. Where is my testing tree? Give me back my stones. I wrote this poem after reading a book written by a friend of mine on UFO abductions. You can bet on it that I dreamed that night. Mm -hmm. The abduction. Some things I do not profess to understand, perhaps not wanting to, including whatever it was they did with you or you with them that timeless summer day when you stumbled out of the wood distracted with your white blouse torn and a bloodstain on your skirt. Do you believe, you asked? Between us, through the years, from bits, from broken clues, we pieced enough together to make the story real. How you encountered on the path a pack of sleek grey hounds trailed by a dumb show retinue in leather shrouds. And how you were led through leafy ways into the presence of a royal stag flaming in his chestnut coat who kneeled on a swale of moss before you and how you were borne aloft in triumph through the green, stretched on his rack of budding horn, till suddenly you found yourself alone in a trampled clearing. That was a long time ago, almost another age, but even now, When I hold you in my arms, I wonder where you are. Sometimes I wake to hear the engines of the night thrumming outside the East Bay window on the lawn spreading to the rose garden. You lie beside me in elegant repose, a hint of transport, Hovering on your lips, indifferent to the harsh green flares that swivel through the room, searchlights controlled by unseen hands. Out there is childhood country, bleached faces peering in with coals for eyes. Our lives are spinning out from world to world. The shapes of things are shifting in the wind. What do we know beyond the rapture and the dread? The occasion for this poem was a furious late August storm marking The End of Summer on the Cape Touch Me Summer is late, my heart Words plucked out of the air Some forty years ago When I was wild with love And torn almost in two Scatter like leaves This night Of whistling wind and rain. It is my heart that's late. It is my song that's flown. Outdoors all afternoon. Under a gunmetal sky. Staking my garden down. I kneel to the crickets trilling underfoot. As if about to burst from their crusty shells, and like a child again, marvel to hear so clear and brave a music pour from such a small machine. What makes the engine go? Desire, desire, desire. The longing for the dance stirs in the buried life. One season only, and it's done. So let the battered old willow thrash against the window panes and the house timbers creak. Darling, do you remember the man you married? Touch me. Remind me who I am. Thank you.
0: That was Stanley Kunitz, recorded at the Library of Congress in 2001 and used by permission of the author and W.W. W. Norton. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Stanley Kunitz and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.